0: This message comes from NPR sponsor HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.
1: You're listening to Life Kit from NPR. Hey everybody, it's Marielle. So Thanksgiving's over, and it is the holiday season. You know what that means. Will you marry me? Absolutely. Will you marry me next Christmas? We barely know each other. I've never been more certain of anything
2: in my life.
1: Yeah, that's right. Love is in the air. I see you watching all those Hallmark Christmas movies and dreaming of an elaborate proposal in a small New England town, the snow falling lightly on the ground outside, your whole family watching, or not with the whole family thing. A lot of people choose this time of year to propose to a significant other. But if you are actually considering marriage, there are some questions you should ask yourself and your partner. On today's episode of Life Kit, reporter Andy Tegel walks through five of them.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Defender, with the Defender family of vehicles built for the modern explorer. The Defender capability is legendary whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. From the reimagined exterior to the robust interior with innovative, award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the four-door Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This message comes from NPR sponsor HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. When the economic news gets to be a bit much...
2: Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money. We're here for you, like your friends, trying to figure out all the most confusing parts. One story, one idea, every day. All in 10 minutes
1: or less.
0: The Indicator from Planet Money, your friendly economic sidekick.
1: From NPR. Before we get back to the show... We know you value the helpful tips we bring you every week. And your financial support is what makes our work possible. Because the thing is, even though our journalism is freely available, it's not free to produce. So a big shout-out to our LifeKit Plus supporters and anyone listening who currently donates to public media. Thank you. You're making a real difference. If you're listening and haven't yet made the leap to supporter, today is Giving Tuesday, an international day of giving. It's the perfect reason to finally join LifeKit Plus and listen to our show sponsor-free. Or you can make a tax-deductible donation to your local NPR station, or the NPR network, or all of the above. You have choices. What really matters is that you're a part of the community of listeners who make this work possible. We can't do it without you, and your support makes sure everyone can listen. You can give today at donate.npr.org/slash lifekit or explore npr plus at plus.npr.org. And thank you.
2: Romantic relationships can be full of questions at every turn whether you've been together for five minutes or 50 years. You know, like, do I go in for the kiss? Should we be exclusive? Are we spending the holidays with your family or mine? If you're on or seeking a path to marriage with your partner, there's probably one big question at the top of your list. What does it take to be and stay married? Or perhaps put more simply, how can we make this thing last? Carol Brees has been working to answer that question for years. One of the
3: things I like to remind couples is that marriage is a lifelong conversation.
2: Carol is a professor emeritus of marriage and family communication from the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota, an author and, get this, a marriage social scientist. I agreed to do this interview when my husband
3: was not home so that he could not pop in. Husband of 31 years. So he would say that he is a great uh, human communication guinea pig and that our marriage is a petri dish.
2: All right. Question number one of Carol's five questions to ask before you get married. Is there anything that you or I are not willing to give up once we're married? And this question
3: gets at something essential in every healthy relationship, it's a thing called boundaries, mm. right? We know that the most compassionate people are also the most boundary people. And in marriage, being compassionate with each other, including respecting what each person needs to thrive, is key to co-creating a thriving marriage mini-culture.
2: Can you give me some examples of what that might look like? Yeah.
3: I'll actually use one from my own marriage. So my husband, his only real hobby, as he'll tell you, is fishing. And early, when our kids were little... When he would go off on these fishing trips for a week or 10 days, it was really, really hard. One of the things that I had to do was become much more compassionate as I reflected on this core reality that him going fishing with his father and his nephew, it was not as much about the fishing, but it was about what filled his soul Right? And so that notion of saying this is something that is essential for my long-term well-being, it helped us come to an understanding that we had to make that a priority. Just like for me, going to yoga once a week, even when we had two little kids, right? It was something essential for an hour or two of reflection, moving my body, right? So That gets at this question, what am I willing or not willing to give up once we are a a couple?
2: Is it the same as as non-negotiables?
3: Yes. No, I I think we could also call them non-negotiables. I like to encourage couples to use um, what's called the egg model of core need identification. So the yoke is where you write and identify what your non-negotiables are. And then that white space is where you can put what's called areas of flexibility. So for instance, in your core non-negotiable, it might be that I need to get time every week away from the house and the kids to care for myself. Right. So that might be that yoke. The white space might be when that hour happens. It doesn't have to be on a Saturday afternoon or a Monday night. It might even be that, that it's not an hour, but it needs to be some time.
2: So it's flexible, but it's still a need. Next up, question two. Can you handle me doing things without you? This question gets at the core truth in
3: every relationship. And that is this truth that all relationships, whether it's marriage, family, friendship, um, any kind of relationship has two sets of simultaneous needs that are often in what we call dialectical opposition. And one of those core needs is for both connection, togetherness, and autonomy, hmm. you will always be managing those opposing needs.
2: There's always calibration. There's always going to be some
3: calibration. Beautiful there. word, right? <laughs> yes, there's always going to be calibration in your relational system. So there's this long standing myth that autonomy, right? Having some spaces in your togetherness is the death knell of a healthy marriage. In fact, the opposite is the truth, mm.
2: that there will always be varying needs for autonomy and connection. What if you're at really opposite poles, though? You know, like, what if someone is someone who needs to have that partner for every step of the way? What if the answer is, like, no, I'm not okay with you doing things without me. I want you to be where I am. Is that relationship doomed for failure? What do you do in that case? Yeah, I, I would say that it's doomed for failure if both people are willing to... One,
3: compromise. You have to be able to give a little. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to give and take. Um, some people are not good takers. So they give a lot. They compromise mm. so much that they starve their own needs. Sure. And so that's not good over time as well, right? Um, And so it's about a conversation. But I think it's a really important one because also one of the things we know, Andy, is that – An early sign of emotional abuse in a relationship is that a person wants to control that other person's time. And so this notion that your partner is not willing to say, wow, I want you to have autonomy. Unyielding. It should be a red flag, a warning Mm -hmm. sign.
2: Question three. When conflict arose, did your family use the silent treatment, calmly discuss disagreements, or slam doors?
3: So, third question gets to the issue of how we are going to engage in productive conflict. Conflict is inevitable. Mm. The way couples handle conflict is the single best predictor of if their marriage, if their relationship will flourish, or if it's going to need to hit the eject button. Mm. Our first conflict classroom was the family that we grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so much of the way that we as a member of a a marriage come into the actions and expressions of conflict, unless we otherwise intentionally work on them, we'll fall into those default modes from our respective families of origin. Um, And so it's, absolutely essential that couples have the meta conversation about how they want to engage in conflict when they disagree and to do so when they are not in the conflict right you got so to talk d- about it when you're not fighting yeah mm-hmm. exactly um and one of the myths about marriage and conflict is that you should be able to solve the majority of your problems right interesting mm mm-hmm. Not true. The best marriage science in the world from the Gottman Relationship Institute at the University of Washington revealed so clearly that two thirds of marriage conflicts are what they call perpetual. They're unsolvable. I think this is the best news, <laughs> right? And what you do is you learn how to manage it and not necessarily solve it. Um, I feel insecure about finances because of my family of origin. You're very secure and, and money doesn't have the emotional undercurrent that it does for me, right? Examples like that. So where we encourage couples to focus more of their energy is identifying how they can solve the solvable problems by engaging in conversations where neither person leaves the conversation, or I should say usually series of conversations or fights, um, feeling like they are less than, feeling like they have been put down. Because that, Andy, is a sign if it happens over time, that the marriage is not going to make it.
2: Yeah, could you speak to that? There's more, the indicators, there's indicators of divorce, right?
3: Exactly. And one of those is this expression of what they call contempt. So like rolling your eyes. It's expressing a kind of disgust about the other person as a human being or what they think or believe or value. No one wants to feel that way, and even less so with the person we've committed our life to um, being with. And so that's one of the behaviors, these micro behaviors that you want to make sure does not show up when you are in conflict. One of the other ones is what's called defensiveness, but the antidote to defensiveness is a powerful shift in mindset and stance. And all of us can do this. It's called the mindset of curiosity. Instead of getting defensive, it's like, well, I didn't mean to leave my shoes on the floor or I didn't intend to come home an hour late. If we shift and say, well, I'm I'm curious about why this is really upsetting to you. Tell me more. And and it tends to set a what could be a fight that's on a trajectory or what we call a negative spiral. It can shift it to a conversation that is a positive spiral. Tell me
2: more. Question four, what is the most you'd be willing to spend on a lamp, a pair of shoes or a pair of jeans? So the fourth question
3: is about finances, right, because money is often not about money if you have enough to meet your basic needs right safety food water shelter right it's about emotions and so the fourth question it opens the door it tends to like reduce some immediate defensiveness um because it's like oh well let's talk about right like i wouldn't want to spend more than six hundred dollars on a lamp and your partner might go oh well, I've never bought a lamp that wasn't from the Goodwill, sure. yeah. right? Like, I don't believe lighting is that important for a healthy, <laughs> happy family. Um, and so what this gets at is the truth um, that we need to have open and ongoing discussions about our approaches to finances and about our emotions about money. Because most of the conflict around money and marriages is about the emotions and what money means or doesn't mean and not about the actual, you know, spreadsheet.
2: Dollars and cents, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, question five. Are you willing to change diapers at 3 a.m. and miss an important meeting if our kid is sick? And...
3: This gets underneath um, an important set of conversations that couples will need to have over time. We know that in the happiest of all marriages, where both partners feel valued and their, their marriage is flourishing, that both partners share over time equally their talents and their time, and they share in the mundane tasks that need to get done in life. They wipe down the counters, they scrub the toilets, they do what needs to be done. Mm. And it's not that at any point in a marriage, is there ever going to be equality? Or that we're all going to be contributing equally? That's a myth. It's that over time, each partner feels respected. Mm. Because Andy, the other piece of research that I want everyone to know about is that if we are to map marriages over time and draw in a line their happiness it is going to look like a you mm. your happiness is going to start high it's going to mm-hmm. dip low and then it's going to come back up again for the majority mm. of couples we've done mm. this research over decades and decades and it almost always looks the same and You know what's happening for the majority of couples at the bottom of that you? Little kids, right? It's parenting. Right, yeah. And anyone who's a parent out there listening, you're like, yep, they're they're nodding their heads. Yep, I get it. Mm -hmm. Right, because (laughs) you're doing all the things you were doing before, but you're doing it um, a little bit exhausted, a little bit distracted. Um, And so what happens for most couples is that conflict increases, stress and anxiety increases. You start to have more conflict, new kinds of conflict. And so some of them get put off because you don't have any time together. So I think it's absolutely essential that couples know when they hit the bottom of that you, it doesn't mean that their marriage is not a strong one or a good one. It's that this is a time when you might need some new strategies, mm. right? You might need to intentionally create, might be a Sunday night, 10-minute conversation ritual with your partner right after the kids are asleep where you do a a check-in.
2: So institute those rituals. It's important to get rituals as part of the program.
3: Absolutely. No matter when you do it or how often you do it, what's important is that you intentionally do it. Because when you don't do it, for most couples, what happens is that they will do it during a fight. Right? So they're not proactively having the conversation of like, wait, where are we at in this, you know, relationship? How are we doing? What needs aren't being met? Um, those things are going to show up. With irritation, with criticism, with all the stuff that, you know, takes more time and emotional energy to to navigate.
2: Carol, you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you. Before we let you go, any last thoughts on how to make a marriage work? Someone
3: once shared, you can either be right or you can be in relationship. Mm. So when we are committing to this lifelong conversation with our spouse, coming into The daily conversation of marriage with humility, by taking off the armor, it is probably one of the most powerful things we can do over time.
2: That's because it's so difficult, Carol. It's because it's a very tall order you're asking.
3: Exactly. (laughs) And I also like to remind couples that when we think about every day in our marriage or every conversation in our marriage as a practice, right, it's like, oh, I might not get it perfect this time but I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to practice at being better. Those are the building blocks
1: of a flourishing, thriving marriage. That was Life Kit reporter Andy Tagle. For more Life Kit, check out our other episodes. There's one on relationship contracts and another on how to split domestic labor fairly. You can find those at npr.org lifekit and if you love LifeKit and you just cannot get enough, subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash lifekitnewsletter. Also, we love hearing from you, so if you have episode ideas or feedback you want to share, email us at lifekit at npr.org. This episode of LifeKit was produced by Mia Venkat. Our visuals editor is Beck Harlan, and our digital editor is Malika Garib. Megan Kane is our supervising editor, and Beth Donovan is our executive producer. Our production team also includes Andy Tagel, Audrey Wynne, Claire Marie Schneider, Margaret Serino, and Sylvie Douglas. Engineering support comes from Rebecca Brown and Joshua Newell. I'm Mariel Segarra. Thanks for listening, lovebirds.
3: This message comes from NPR sponsor WW Norton and Company, publishers of the Catalyst RNA and the Quest to Unlock Life's Deepest Secrets from Thomas R. Check. Exploring the most transformative breakthroughs in biology since the discovery of the double helix, Nobel Prize-winning scientist Thomas R. Check unveils the rna The Catalyst is a must-read guide to the present and future of biology and medicine. Now available wherever
1: books are sold.
0: When you hear Birmingham, Alabama, you might think about the civil rights movement, but maybe not about baseball. But as the oldest pro ballpark in America, Rick Field saw the struggle for freedom play out right there on the dirt and grass. I'm Roy Wood Jr. I grew up in Birmingham, and I'm going to tell you this whole story. Listen to Road to Rickwood from WWNO and WRKF, part of the NPR Network. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me isn't just jokes about the week's news, it's also life hacks. For example, here's actor Karen Allen revealing how she got her starring role in Raiders of the Lost Ark. They
3: said, how well can you spit? <laughs> and I just found, it coming out
0: of my mouth, I said, oh, I can hawk him with the best. <laughs> I'm Peter Sagal. If you want to increase your self-confidence, then listen to the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me podcast from NPR.